Just for love of 
and you stand for me. Good morning and thank you, Brother Ruben, once more. We never get tired of you singing for us because you're singing with your heart and with your soul. God bless you. Let us bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, that we are given more time to uh, collect the not only information, but the enlightenment provided by things past, present, and future. Once the, those revealed in prophecy, those revealed in the scriptures, those revealed by what is happening in the world around us through history and prophecy combined, they reveal what man need to know and what God meant has chosen to reveal to man. Our work here in this earth is guided. We need not make, a, make our own plans. God has already planned this out. Our business is to find what you to know what your will is and to know your plan and to work that plan. And we will focus now on the ideals of the founding fathers of America on the religious liberty and the freedom of conscience, which is central to the issue on Revelation 13. So kindly guide and direct us. Protect us with your angels. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So our study today, which we are part of our study sermon, is a very pleasant topic. I'm making. I'm not making fun of this. I, I would. I would say spiritual pleasure. Okay. So the spiritual pleasure here is these are ideals. They should be pleasurable in the highest sense, and they were until, according to prophecy, things changed and will permanently changed in the days to come. So we have two verses here, body of verses which will lead into this topic. The first one being 2 Corinthians 3.17. And I'm going to read what the Word of God says. Now the Spirit, or the now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Once more, now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 to 24, and see the attitude of Paul towards this special sensitive topic. He knew what to say. He knew what to do because he was instructed of God regarding religious liberty and the freedom of conscience in his time and how appropriate is it is for our time. I'm going to begin to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 21, 23, and 24. Paul writes, Now he which establishes us with you in Christ, addressing the church, and has anointed us, is God who hath also sealed us and give, given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. In other words, there are, the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And he is, they were given the earnest of the Spirit in, in their hearts. 
Moreover, he says, I call God for a record upon my soul. I is going to make an oath. Not for that we have dominion over your faith, but our helpers for your joy, for by faith you stand. I'm going to emphasize that. This is what it says. Even though we have received the earnest of the Spirit, we have been anointed, we have been sealed. He says, I'm going to state this with God as my witness. For we, he says, not for that we have dominion over your faith, but our helpers for your joy, for by faith you stand. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, 21, 23, and 24. Now let's go back, or really go to the things written by the founding fathers. And this first one is the United States Constitution, and I know every American citizen, every resident knows this. This United States Constitution adopted by the founding fathers declared that Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. That's the very first thing. The issue of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Religion or abridging the freedom of speech. Second, or of the press or the rights of the people peaceably to assembly, and then to petition the government for a redress of grievances. That is the First Amendment. Now, what was the Declaration of Independence? You know, Moses declared independence of the Israelites in a spiritual application when he came to set Israel free from bondage? Yes, he did. Now, what's the American Declaration of Independence? And you know this, this Declaration of Independence states, we hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, Thomas Jefferson, the author of the Declaration of Independence himself, wrote these following lines, Almighty God hath created the mind free, free and all attempts to influence it by temporal punishments or burdens or by civil incapacitations tend only to beget habits of hypocrisy and meanness and our departure from the plan of the holy author of our religion, who being Lord both of body and mind, yet chose not to propagate it by coercions on either, as was in his almighty power to do. That is from the Act for Establishing Religious Freedom in Virginia, year 1785. James Madison, the father of the federal constitution, said, Religion is not in the purview of human government. 
religion is essential is essentially distinct from civil government and exempt from its cognizance because a connection between them is injurious to both. That is in the letter to Edward Everett in 1823. George Washington, the father of his country, set forth this. He wrote, Any man conducting himself as a good citizen and being accountable to God alone for his religious opinions ought to be protected in worshiping the deity according to the dictates of his own conscience. That was in his reply to the United Baptist Churches of Virginia in 1789. Benjamin Franklin, the sage of the Continental Congress, expressed this as his conviction. He said, when religion is good, it will take care of itself. When it is not able to take care of itself and God does not see fit to take care of it so that it has to appeal to the civil power for support, it is evidence to my mind that its cost is a bad one. That's in a letter to Dr. Price. Patrick Henry, the fiery orator of the revolution, said that religion or the duty we owe to our Creator and the manner of discharging it can be directed only by reason and conviction and not by force or violence, and therefore that all men should enjoy the fullest toleration in the exercise of religion according to the dictates of conscience and unpunished and unrestrained by the magistrate unless under color of religion any man disturb the peace, the happiness, or the safety of society and that it is the mutual duty of all to practice Christian forbearance, love, and charity towards all. That is from Tyler's Patrick Henry Pages 183 and 184. Uh, here's a special note here uh, regarding what we just read, which is based on Patrick Henry's definition of religious uh, liberty and Alonso Trevor Jones. In his booklet called The Individuality of Religion, in page two of his introduction, wrote the following on religious liberty. Religion is the duty which we owe to our Creator and the manner of discharging it. Liberty is the state of being exempt from the domination of others or from restricting circumstances. In ethics and in philosophy, it is the power in any rational being to make his choices and decide his conduct for himself spontaneously and voluntarily in accordance with reason or motives. So putting this together now, religious liberty, therefore, is man's exemption from the domination of others or from restricting circumstances, man's freedom to make 
his choices and decide his conduct for himself spontaneously and voluntarily in his duty to his creator and in the manner of discharging that duty. Now, I'd be interested to know this. There is such a thing that is in existence, the Treaty of Peace with Tripoli, that was ratified by the United States Senate in May 26, 1797, and therefore binding on Congress, all courts and legislatures, the same as the Constitution of the United States. What does it state in that? It says the government of the United States of America is not in any sense founded on the Christian religion. That is Article 2 of the treaty. Just listen up. In the reply of the U.S. Senate to the first petition in the United States that was sent to Congress for a Sunday law, enunciated the sound statement of a fundamental principle. And I read, The proper object of government is to protect all persons in the enjoyment of their religious as well as their civil rights, and not to determine for any whether they shall esteem one day above another or esteem all days alike. That's quoting from the Bible. That is from the U.S. Senate on Sunday mails, June 19, 1829. Now on this subtopic, why religion and state should function separately are the following quotes. Religion and government will both exist in greater purity the less they are mixed together. That's the writings of James Madison, volume 3, page 273. If the principle is once established that religion or religious observances shall be interwoven with our legislative acts, we must pursue it to its ultimatum. That is the U.S. Senate report on Sunday, mail, January 19, 1829. Here's another one. Among all the religious persecutions with which almost every page of modern history is stained, no victim ever suffered but for the violation of what government denominated the law of God. They were trying to define the law of God, the government that is, to prevent a similar train of evils in this country. The Constitution has wisely withheld from our government the power of defining, defining the divine law. It is a right that is reserved to each citizen. That's part of the Sunday mails of the U.N. Senate report, January 19, 1829. Ulysses S. Grant, in a speech in Des Moines, Iowa, 1875, stated this, Leave the matter of religion to the family altar, the church, and the private school supported entirely by private contribution. Keep the church and state forever separate. Dr. Philip Schaff, one of my most favorite historians, on his book, The Church and State, page 11, wrote the following. 
secular power has proved a satanic gift to the church. And ecclesiastical power has proved an engine of tyranny in the hands of the state. End of quote. On Macaulay's essay on Southey's colloquies, he wrote, The whole history of the Christian religion shows is, is, is in far greater danger of being corrupted by the alliance of power than of being crushed by its opposition. And here Thomas Jefferson, in a letter to the Reverend Millar, under the works of Thomas Jefferson, volume 5, page 236, he wrote, I consider the government of the United States as interdicted by the Constitution from intermeddling with religious institutions, their doctrines, disciplines, or exercises. I'm going to read it again. Strong statement. I consider the government of the United States as interdicted by the Constitution from intermeddling with religious institutions, their doctrines, disciplines, or exercises. Well, here's the, from book Writings of James Madison, volume 1, page 162. And this is why we need to understand what the ideals were. Today, People in the United States and in other republics and democracies are so afraid of certain things. They're alarmed over other things other than that which they should be genuinely and properly alarmed over. And I will read it to you according to this founder, uh, the father of this of the American Constitution. He says, he says, it is proper to take alarm at the first experiment upon our liberties. We hold this prudent jealousy to be the first duty of citizens and one of the noblest characteristics of the late revolution. The free men of America did not wait till usurped power had strengthened itself by exercise and entangled the question in precedent. They saw all the consequences in the principle. We revere this lesson too much soon to forget it. What does not see or who does not see that the same authority which can establish Christianity in exclusion of all other religions may establish with the same ease any particular sect of Christianity in exclusion of other sects. How profound indeed. More people should be reading this who are on the extremes of both sides. Patrick Henry, again, <laughs> that fiery orator of the revolution, said in a speech in defense of the Baptists of Virginia, who were then being persecuted for preaching the gospel. What did he write? This is a principle. In, this is recorded in Parton's Life of Jefferson. When our fathers left our land of nativity for these American wilds, from the moment they placed their feet upon American, the American continent, from that moment of, from that moment, this 
despotism was crushed. The fetters of darkness were broken, and heaven decreed that man should be free, free to worship God according to the Bible. In vain were all their offerings and bloodshed to subjugate this new world if we, and this is what we should learn, if we, their offspring, must still be oppressed and persecuted. Now on, on our inalienable God-given rights, let me share with you uh, the writings here. The Declaration again of Independence, we need to repeat that. We hold these truths to be self-evident, doesn't need any other. It is self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by the Creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, on natural law and natural rights, let me share what we do. What Thomas Jefferson, in his letter to Francis Gilmer, dated June 7, 1816, he wrote, Our legislators are not sufficiently apprised of the rightful limits of their power, that their true office is to declare and enforce only our natural rights and duties and to take none of them from us. The idea is quite unfounded that on entering into society, we give up any natural right. That is unfounded. Those rights then which God and nature have established and therefore are called natural rights, such as our life and liberty, need not the aid of human laws to be more effectively invested in every man than they are. Neither do they receive additional strength when declared by municipal laws to be inviolable. On the contrary, no human legislator has the power to abridge or destroy them. That's from Blackstone in Blackstone's Commentaries. Again, from writings of James Madison, the equal right of every citizen to the free exercise of his religion, according to the dictates of conscience, is held by the same tenure with all our other rights. If we recur to its origin, it is equally the gift of nature. If we weigh its importance, it cannot be less dear to us. Either then we must say that the will of the legislature is the only measure of their authority and that in the plenitude of their authority they may sweep away all our fundamental rights or that they are bound to leave this particular right untouched and sacred. There's a little bit more. Patrick Henry in Eliot's Debates on the Federal Constitution, Volume 3, page 53, 
and 651. The great and direct end or objective, goal or purpose of government, guess what it is? It's liberty. Secure our liberty and privileges and the end of government is answered. If this be not effectively done, government is an evil. End of quote. Here's two more. George Bancroft in the history of the United States. The American Constitution, in harmony with the people of several states, withheld from the federal government the power to invade the home of reason, the citadel of the conscience, the sanctuary of the soul, and not from indifference, but that the infinite spirit of eternal truth might move in its freedom and purity and power. Now I'm going to end this, not because it ends here, but because of time. We'll continue this later. I'm going to quote from John Wesley, a co-founder with his brother Charles of the Methodist Church. What did he write? It's worth remembering and understanding. He says, Condemn no one, no man, for not thinking as you think. Let everyone enjoy the full and free liberty of thinking for himself. Let every man use his own judgment, since every man must give an account of himself to God. Abhor any approach in any kind or any degree to the spirit of persecution. For if you cannot reason nor persuade a man into the truth, never attempt to force a man into it. If love will not compel him to come, leave him to God, the judge of all. So with that, we will close this first section on this and continue later on. But I want you to ponder upon the rights and privileges that we received as inalienable, an inalienable endowment. And that remember that the Bill of Rights, the first thing it says, Congress shall make no law respecting the, respecting the establishment of religion. The rest follow. The first one leads all the others. That is fundamental. All the rest are dependent. May we know our priorities because God gave that to men, gave it to a rational mind. It is part of the gospel. And we need to understand that in order that we may be able to protect the truth with the truth itself. So let's bow our heads in prayer. In heaven, we thank you, Lord, that we can be not only informed, information is all over, but enlightened by the Holy Spirit on things that really matter because they have eternal consequences. Help us to know how to discern between side issues and from the main issue. Guide us, direct us, humble us, and may we make the rest of the time remaining to redeem the lost time by making the best of whatever remains. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.